You're listening to Awakening with Lindley Rose, bringing you stories of transformation, healing, spirituality, and empowerment. As a healing guide with a master's in counseling, I work with clients who are experiencing physical, mental, or emotional challenges, and I help them heal by addressing underlying stressors and teaching them tools for living a more empowered life. To get in touch with me, you can visit my website at lindleyrose.com. In this episode, I bring you an interview with my dear friend, Maggie Fellman. Maggie opens up about her battle with an eating disorder that almost took her life at a very young age, and she shares her path to recovery. She talks about her journey to become a mother and how she manages anxiety as a single mom in LA. I hope you are inspired by this interview. For me, it was my eating disorder. It was, it became my, my identity. It was the only way I knew how to live and nobody knew how to help me. And I could see myself dying and I knew I was dying. It's the eating disorder that's telling me you can't eat that. You're going to get fat. Your life is going to fall apart. Nobody will love you. I got to this treatment center and I said to myself on the way there, I said, this is the last time. When I got pregnant, everybody was like, oh no, how is she going to handle being pregnant? Her body is going to change. And I have to say it was in that moment that I realized how recovered I was because it really was exciting for me. I'm so excited to talk to you, Maggie. Thank you so much for being here today. Of course. Thank you for having me. So I just want to share a little bit about Maggie and I. We go back to childhood, really. (laughs) Uh, We knew each other growing up. Uh, My mom ran a performing arts summer day camp that she came to. The best camp. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we, you know, we went off in our separate lives and Then we just reconnected probably about six or seven years ago when I had first started going through this huge significant shift in my life, this awakening that I was going through. And I reached out to her, we kind of reconnected and I actually came to, I was on a trip to California and, and did an interview with you about what we're going to talk about today. I was actually wanting to make a documentary about body image and body positivity called taking back beauty. And so I was kind of like interviewing several people and you were one of the stories I wanted to feature uh, because I really loved your story. It was very inspiring. And now here we are seven years later, six, seven years later, talking about the same thing, but now you're in a different place and you've learned and grown a lot since then. And so I'm really excited to hear all of your thoughts and just this journey that you've been on. Me too. I think that when we talked about it seven years ago, I was still in a place where I I was, I was still battling so much in my brain, but I wasn't acting out on the behaviors. So now it's been a while since I've battled anything like that in my brain. Like it's just not a part of my life anymore. Wow. That's amazing. So why don't you just start out by sharing a little bit about 
what was this predicament that you found yourself in? What was the challenge that you faced, you know, growing up? Um, talk a little bit about your battle with that. And, and then we'll, you know, we'll go from there and see how you shifted out of that. Okay. So I guess it started with growing up in LA. I think that there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way and um, be a certain way. And your worth, in a sense, is kind of measured by how you look. I was never somebody who was living in a really small body. And I really wrestled with that. And, you know, I did a lot of dance and gymnastics and I I was really strong and people were always making comments about how strong I was and my body and how I looked and how I had this gymnast body or this dancer body. And like, when I looked at people who had this body, it was not something that I felt like I identified with. And so from a really young age, I was super uncomfortable with my body. And so if you couple that with, you know, a dad who is a bodybuilder and a mom who is also trying to keep up with the pressures of our culture, you, it's like a perfect storm. So I, I ended up getting an eating disorder when I was about 12. I started restricting my food. Um, and I really started to compare myself to other people who were taller than me, skinnier than me. Um, you know, I think that's about the age back then where people started to really realize, like started to really come into their own body. You know, we're going through puberty, everything's changing. We're in middle school. Now we have all this pressure. There's the older kids, you know, all of this stuff. So I managed to make it through middle school without any significant behaviors. But once I got to high school, I just, that was it. I started starving myself. And then when I would get too hungry, I would eat a bunch and throw up my food. And it just became like this cycle. And, you know, my friends knew about it and it was socially acceptable and there was nothing wrong with it. And um, I started to lose weight and everybody was praising me because they had no idea what I was doing. And it just became like this cycle. And then it just grew from there. Um, I remember being in, in PE in high school and they had to do like the weight test. (laughs) Like they put you on a scale in front of the whole class, (laughs) Oh my gosh! which gives me so much anxiety thinking about this could be what, what's happening in the future to my own child. Like it just destroyed me. It like really did. I was not the type of person who was like this skinny, lanky person. Like I I'm, I'm not a bigger person, but I'm just not built like that. And, um, she, you know, the teacher like yelled the number (laughs) to like her assistant who was like across the room, who's like taking notes. And then that was that. And that was it, you know, (laughs) that was it there. Like it, it, there was no stopping it. And, um, how did that impact you? I stopped socializing. I took on this identity as like this person who was like, not good enough. (laughs) Um, I 
heard everybody else's weight. So I was constantly comparing myself and it didn't, it didn't stop at like weight. I was then starting to compare myself in every area of my life. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not talented enough. Uh, maybe I'm not a good enough dancer. Maybe I'm not a good enough singer. I, you know, and it just, my high school years were really awful. You know, now if that happened, like we have all this body positivity and there's resources for a lot of people, but back then they didn't like know about that kind of stuff. I mean, we knew about it, but it was like, you didn't talk about it. Yeah. The way we were raised was, I mean, so I grew up in the same culture, LA. My parents were both actors. They started out as actors. They met doing a movie. Image was really important in that industry. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just remember, you know, like there was a lot of the way that that generation spoke to their kids about appearances really had an impact. I think they didn't realize it at all, what that impact was going to be. But when you're, you know, making comments about each other's body. So like years later now, you know, when I'm, I'm in, I was in my thirties, you know, getting back together with my, with my sisters, my three younger sisters, we would come together, <laughs> you know, after not seeing each other for maybe a few years. And what would we talk about? We would talk about the parts of our bodies that we didn't like. I remember these family vacations and things that, you know, oh, my elbow is weird. Oh, my knee isn't placed in the right place. And we would laugh about it with each other. But there was this underlying thing that we were all still struggling with. And it was that we're not okay with our bodies and there's something wrong with us. And we're just going to laugh about it so that we feel okay. But no, it wasn't a joke. It was real. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I I definitely, um, but I want to ask you, you know, like, cause I can relate to so much of this and I was thin. So my thing, I was called skinny bone Jones in elementary school. And my thing was I'm too skinny, right? Everyone has their thing and you can't know from looking at a person what they're struggling with. Right. Exactly. So when you were going through your challenge, what was the point when you felt like this is actually a problem? Because for so long they were saying, you know, you were getting that validation. It's not a problem. But when did you actually start to realize that it was You know, I struggled with other things like self-harm and everything that stemmed from all that. So I guess I started to realize like it was a problem or more that I was a problem is the way that it translated when I would, um, you know, get called out for like a, a scratch I maybe had on my arm or something like that. Like I was on the radar of every administrator in school and my parents were really concerned and I started, I, and, and it's funny because one year and it was like, right when my eating disorder got really bad, I have just so happened to get like straight A's, you know, and that's what happens with this kind of stuff. We become so rigid and like, it, it's like a honeymoon phase. Right. And so I got everybody off my back. And I think that when that started to crumble is when I realized that okay, this is a problem. Like I need help. And my mom got me help. She found out that the therapist that was the right therapist to go to and the 
you know, medical doctor that was the right medical doctor. And the, we got the ball rolling with that. And I mean, I think I was like 16 or 16 when I first started to get help for everything. So that's when it first started the journey. (laughs) So at first, um, were you resistant to help or did you want help? Where, where were you at? Um, I was super resistant to any kind of help that was in regards to my food or my weight or anything like that. I didn't think I had an issue. I thought that I was bigger (laughs) than I actually was. Like I had some pretty serious body dysmorphia. And I think that's really common with a lot of people who have eating disorders is that when we start to get help, we think, well, I'm not sick enough, you know, so we become resistant because what's happening is that we're not seeing what everybody else is seeing because we're not, we don't have any kind of, we're starving. So, um, I was resistant, but I wasn't resistant to the changes that were being made to my environment, like how, you know, I had certain privileges at school or if I needed like more therapy or anything like that. But I was resistant to changing my eating disorder behaviors because I didn't want to let that go. It was the only thing that was keeping me in my mind that was keeping me alive. Wow. That was like your way of coping, right? Yeah. That's how it manifested. For some people, it manifests with alcohol or drugs or stuff like that. And for me, it was my eating disorder. It was, it became my, my identity, you know, and it became my identity with my friends. It became my identity at home. And it was how I was living in the world. It was the only way I knew how to live. So that went on for years in and out of hospitals at the doctor's office, getting my blood work done every Friday, bouncing around different, um, you know, treatment professionals, therapists, dietitians, day treatment programs, you know, outpatient programs, all sorts of things, rehabs, even they sent me to like drug and alcohol rehabs, which made it worse (laughs) because it wasn't addressing the issue. And, um, yeah. How were you able to shift out of that old identity, having this eating disorder? And that's like who you are to addressing the core issues and really healing. Well, it got really, really bad. The people in my life could no longer tolerate being around me. (laughs) I was very, very sick. I was not eating at all. My blood work was super dangerous. Um, and I didn't care. I really didn't care. So you know, I had come out of treatment and my, my parents had gotten me an apartment because they didn't know (laughs) where else to put me, you know, and that was what was recommended of the treatment professionals at that time. And I just, I was like super sick and I was like living alone in the dark (laughs) and nobody wanted anything to do with me. And I didn't want anything to do with anybody else and nobody knew how to help me. And I could see myself dying and I knew I was dying. And then finally somebody took it upon themselves to make a phone call and take my insurance card (laughs) 
and book a flight for me. And by the time they did that, I was like so far gone. I didn't even care. I didn't care. Send me wherever, you know, because I'm going to die anyway. And this is where things really started to shift for me. I got to this treatment center and I said to myself on the way there, I said, this is the last time. Like if this doesn't work, then I die. (laughs) So I might as well just try, you know? And so that's what I did. And I was living in the mountains (laughs) and with other girls who were going through the same thing as me, who were just as sick, some more sick. It didn't matter. We were all really, really sick. And, um, the difference there was that the staff were also recovered from eating disorders. Most of them, like 90% of them. So we could look at them and we could see, wow, like it is possible to recover. And so I started to take it seriously and it wasn't comfortable and it was a nightmare, but my life was already a nightmare. So I remember we were at this we would have lunch outings, right. Where we'd all go to a restaurant and like everybody would cry, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and it was like kind of embarrassing, but it was necessary. Um, and we were at this one lunch outing and we had the option of, we could eat dessert at lunch or we and skip our afternoon snack, or we could not eat dessert and like stick to the program. And I was like, always the person who was like, no dessert. (laughs) I'm sticking to the program, like super rigid. And then I was sitting there and I looked around and, you know, there was one side of the table who was like crying and there was another side of the table. And there was like a few of the girls and some of the staff members just like laughing and joking and eating dessert. And I thought to myself, these are my choices. You know, I could either continue to be like this (laughs) or I can be happy and enjoy whatever they were eating. And so I, I feel like in that moment, something shifted for me and I became really serious about it. And I started to really follow everything that all the recommendations, everything that they were suggesting that I do and, and asking for them to challenge me so that I could get out of there alive. Wow. What were some of the recommendations that you feel really helped you move forward? In the philosophy that I, that I follow, they believe that you have an eating disorder self and a healthy self. It's the eating disorder. That's telling me you can't eat that. You're going to get fat. Your life is going to fall apart. Nobody will love you all this stuff. And so what we have to do is we have to kind of strengthen our healthy voice. And the only way to do that is to kind of fight back, you know, so you're not good enough. You're absolutely good enough. You shouldn't be eating that. This food is amazing. (laughs) Like just little things that you kind of like have this inner dialogue. And at first it was really hard for me, but that's what, you know, the, the staff was there for. They, I could say, look, this is what my brain is telling me. I started to get honest, you know, like my brain is telling me I should take this butter and wipe it on my napkin, or I should throw this almond into the light fixture and nobody's going to see, this is what my brain is telling me. And I started to tell on myself. And so 
they started to kind of like chip away at all the little behaviors that I was doing and replace them with like positive affirmations. And as time went on, I realized that, you know, the weight that I was gaining and um, which in my mind felt like astronomical, but it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a bad thing. This was a good thing because this meant that I had, you know, got to live a life. Right. And so one of my therapists was like, she said to me, like, my genes may be bigger than yours, but like, so is my life. I have a lot of friends. I go, I'm, I'm social. I go out, I have relationships with my family. So what if my genes are bigger? And I, I made a commitment, you know, it was hard. Wow. That's incredible. And I love that whole, you know, it's like that inner dialogue, you're actually becoming aware of what your brain is telling you. And then you're voicing it and you're being honest. And that is, that's the way to make changes to, to create different patterns, right? Because if we, if we all follow our automatic inner critic or whatever it is, that's keeping us down in whatever way it is, you know, everyone just talks to them in a different way. If we follow that, we're going to stay limited. We're going to stay in these negative patterns, these unhealthy lives limited versions of what we could really be. Right. Yeah. And I talked about that, you know, I compared it to like living in a box, you know, like I could live in my box and be super safe. Yes. Like not let any, anybody in, or I could like kind of think outside the box and try different things. But once I label it, like once I give it a name, you know, I'm scared then I can, there's something I can do about it. But if I'm sitting there in this box, there's no room to grow. Exactly. I use that all the time with my clients as well, because like that visual, that's how I felt as well. I felt like I got out of my box. My, And it's so funny because my, the way that I broke out of my own limiting beliefs was a moment when I was looking at myself in the mirror while I was putting on makeup. And I started to recognize that I had a voice that was saying, you're ugly. You're only beautiful. If you wear makeup, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're walking around with this secret that you are a hideous monster. Like I was actually like, it wasn't a actual voice, but those were the thoughts that were going through my head. Yeah. And it was only when I started to question them that I was able to challenge, well, maybe I'm not. What if I'm beautiful? Like, is this really true? I don't want this to be true. So I'm going to challenge it. And now I'm actually going to stop wearing makeup, which I did for nine months to like get out of that. I'm no longer going to listen to you, that voice in my head. And I'm going to try something new. I'm going to like step out of that box. And then there was this whole world that just unfolded for me. Right. That kind of reminds me of something that like we do and something I really, really encourage the people I work with now to do things like, well, first of all, you have to throw out your skill and that's it. (laughs) Like, why are we measuring our worth by the number on a scale? It doesn't even mean anything. Everybody has a different, everybody's bones weigh different. 
you know, <laughs> like it literally doesn't mean anything. I mean, there's all these charts, like we, like I talked about in the school, like I fit into the, like when they weighed me, I fit into this one category. Right. But those, those charts were, were created, you know, based on like white men in the army, <laughs> like they weren't, they, they're irrelevant. So we're measuring this number on a scale. When we go to the doctor, they weigh us for what, exactly. right? Unless they're yeah. prescribing us medication, there's no need. So mm-hmm. yeah, you have to take yourself out of the environment that's causing you to think that way. And then your behavior is following the thoughts that you're having that are just like not based in reality. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about what you do now and some of the ways that you help other girls or guys who are struggling with eating disorders? Um, Yeah. So people had been telling me to get on this train for a lot of years. (laughs) And I felt like even though my, my recovery is strong and we actually believe that you can be recovered, like fully recovered. Um, and I've been recovered for a while, but I, I hesitated to jump on the train because I feel like it's a huge responsibility, you know, and eating disorders are really serious you know, so I ended up, you know, through this pandemic, I realized that like, you know, after being stuck in the house with a toddler for two years, you know, I was like, I got to do something with my life. I can't continue to do like this nine to five stuff that I do and like raise my daughter in this way, you know? So Mm -hmm. I decided to jump on the bandwagon. And now what I do is I'm not a therapist. I'm not a dietitian. I work in tandem with the therapist and the dietitian. I work with clients in the here and now. So if whether they're struggling to um, apply their, the suggestions that their treatment team is giving them in their everyday life, they can call me or text me you know, to hold themselves accountable or if they have a crisis or whatever. I also do like meal support. So I walk people through meal challenges, like eating foods that they've been afraid of for years. And we do it together and we sit together and I, you know, like sometimes, you know, hold their hand. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't deal with the trauma. I don't deal with whatever happened in your childhood that caused your eating disorder. I'm also not a dietitian, so I don't tell people what to eat. They tell me what to do. The therapist and the dietitian, they give me kind of like a loose idea. And then I talk to the client and we learn how to kind of like carry that over into their life and do it together. Like all the stuff that the dietitian and the therapist don't really have time for. Yeah. I build like a closer, closer relationship. Like it's a little bit more personal with these people. And like, we can joke, they know a little bit more about me than they do about their therapist. Cause we're always talking, you know? And yeah. Wow. But that's so awesome. I love that. So tell me a little bit about your, you know, you became a mom. How many years ago has this been now? Uh, my daughter is three. So I became a mom in 2019, which was like super interesting the whole way. You want to share a little bit about that? 
Yeah. When I got pregnant, you know, everybody was concerned. Everybody was like, oh no, (laughs) how is she going to handle being pregnant? Her body is going to change. And I have to say it was in that moment that I realized how recovered I was because it really was exciting for me. I didn't care about anything. And, you know, people say, oh, you're going to gain weight. You're going to gain weight. I'm like, yeah, because my body is creating a life. Like how amazing is that? Right. And so I would, I would go to the doctor every week. Right. And, and, you know, in recovery, we do something called a blind weight. Like we don't let them tell us the number we weigh ourselves backwards, whatever. But, you know, some doctors are not very good at that. (laughs) They don't understand the significance of that. And so I managed to see my weight and it was like on every screen in the, in the every week, every time I went. And it's, as the weeks went on, I started to realize that I really didn't give a hoot. Wow. Um, and, and it was like the most amazing thing. And people would say to me, Oh my God, you're so calm. And then the other thing was, is that I had hyperemesis. So the whole time I was pregnant, single and pregnant, working full time, I was vomiting like 10 times a day. And I just like went with it, you know? And now I have this beautiful kid who is like super smart and like so full of life. And it's like the biggest gift, you know, they told me that I would never get pregnant. And they told, they tried to tell me that I may not even live, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm super grateful for all of that. Yeah. Wow. That's so incredible. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about that. You know, it's just amazing that you were able to go from, you know, the place you were at to recovering. And now you're stepping into this new role and your body is changing And it's actually giving you that evidence that you have come so far. Yeah. And now I'm responsible for another life. So I have to make sure to break this pattern. You know, it's a struggle because my family, you know, I changed. My family changed. They they really changed with me and they did a great job, especially my mom. Mm. Um, But, you know, it wasn't their problem. So there are still things... I have to be very, very diligent about my boundaries around food, body talk, weight talk. We don't allow it in, in the house. I don't have a scale. I'm, I'm not commenting on my daughter's body, you know, and it's even hard for me sometimes because Mm -hmm. it's not the first thing in my mind, you know, but I like my goal with her is to, to create and, and nurture a person that is happy, healthy, successful, like all these things. And we can't be that if we're all consumed with how we look. Yeah, totally. Wow. So you now, um, as a mom, has anything come up for you, like new challenges in being a mom that you've now had to deal with? And you're trying to deal with in a healthy way. Yeah, I deal with, I, I struggle with a lot of anxiety. 
around the welfare of my child. (laughs) So I've definitely had to look at that and um, implement things that help me keep that at bay. Um, A lot of meditating, a lot of um, challenging my thoughts again, you know, like the same thing I did when I was recovering from my eating disorder, you know, talk that self-talk that like, is this like really a rational fear? (laughs) You know, is this like reality or a rash, you know, like what, what's happening here? Like when I have that anxiety, I really have to look at that. So I've definitely, um, taken my like stress management to the next level. I have Mm -hmm. place that help me, you know, joyful movement, collecting crystals, <laughs> meditating, lighting candles, all this stuff. And, but most importantly, like feeding my body in a way that feels good and like making sure I get enough rest. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so great. And I know you were in LA during this whole crazy pandemic and there's like, it's been like lockdown and it's been worse than it has been for me. Um, how did you get through that? <laughs> yeah. It was not easy. I have to say it was not easy because I'm a single mom and obviously this this virus had me so nervous. <laughs> you know, at first I was like wearing a hazmat suit to the market with like the dishes gloves and the face shield and I had the rain cover on the baby because I had to take her with me you know, God forbid I should ask for help. Right. Like, because I didn't, God forbid, I, I infect someone by letting them watch my kid. Like I, we had no idea what was happening. And as time went on, some of that started to like come off and, um, it was like a day by day thing. I just dealt with it. You know, I tried to limit my exposure to the media in regards to the pandemic to only information I needed to know. You know, while all my friends were out protesting, I stayed home with my baby and, you know, we kind of, it it ended up being like not such a bad thing because I got to stay home with my baby and I was collecting unemployment. So it wasn't, you know, there were things that made it very stressful. Like I lost my job, but I kind of looked at it as a, as a way to like reset, (laughs) You know, like, what is this telling me? What is this pandemic doing for me instead of what is it doing to me? Right. Well, it's so interesting how these events and, you know, these things come into our lives and then we deal with them from the place where we're at and, you know, using the tools that you have. And a lot of times I found that they're actually, you know, there's, there's benefits, there's benefits, like the pandemic, actually, you know, my experience was like, I had a lot of benefits as well. I got to homeschool my kids. I really enjoyed just not like no outside distractions. And, but then also there was, there was that, that challenge as well. And just dealing with um, anxiety and all of that, you know, you're learning and you're growing and you're gaining more tools through that experience that now you can help others with you're like growing as a person so that's really cool to see how you handled that and 
we've texted through some of that and <laughs> like I hear sirens, I hear like, you know, all the protests and everything going on there. It yeah. sounded like insane. I, I can't even imagine it. I'm, and I'm like, are you sure you don't want to come move to the beach? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it was like, it got a little scary here. I have to say, you know, I, I installed an iron gate on my front door. I have, I don't like weapons, so I don't keep them in the house, but I do have a megaphone with a very loud siren. You know, I have a, a go bag with all of my documents in there and I'm ready to go if I need to. And I always, it's, it's just push me to be prepared, you know, I've always have gas in my car. I always know where my keys are. Like if something should happen, I'm ready to go. I have my cats have their vet records. I have all the carriers in the same place. Like it definitely, you know, changes me. Now I just had this conversation with a client like yesterday about what's the line for someone with anxiety, you want to be prepared, but you also want to be rational. So like, how are you navigating this? Of I want to be prepared in a state of calm. I'm going to go prepare by being calm, not like from that state of anxiety and fear. Yeah. So part of that, I think is preventative. I have to make sure I have, you know, things in place, like on a daily basis where my anxiety level is like super low or as low as it could be. Like I always make sure that I, I never get too wrapped up in drama or too hungry or too tired or any of that, like, because when I'm not like regulated in those ways, my anxiety tends to be a lot bigger. I also have people that I check in with, like, is this, um, too much, (laughs) you know, like, like with the megaphone, I was like, I have, I've bought a megaphone. It has a very loud siren and I'm ready to go, you know, and is that too much? And people are like, no, actually that's a really good idea. <laughs> you know, Yeah. Um, so I have people that I check in with. Um, and I, I have to say that meditating has really become essential. And I'm not, I don't mean like I turn on music and I like sit in a certain way and there's like incense burning. And I don't mean like that. (laughs) I mean, just like, especially like in the morning and at night, like sitting still for five minutes, like sitting up with like my hands on my knees and my eyes closed and just focusing on my breath has been like you, I mean, I have to, if I don't breathe, (laughs) then I can't like live, you know what I mean? So with people with anxiety, they have a tendency to like not breathe. And so making sure that I breathe has been essential. And then if I do have some sort of panic, I have things in place that I do. I either call somebody or I do the breathing thing. It's, you know, it's possible. Yeah. That's so great. Well, I'm so glad that you shared those things. I know that that can really help others with just trying to find ways to deal with that because I'm sure there's a lot of people who have those same feelings and they're trying to figure out how to deal with that. So it's great. Why don't you, you know, just before we go share how people could connect with you and, you know, any last words that you want to share for anyone struggling right now, how to connect with me. I have an email. It's 
attnmaggie at gmail.com. I also have an account on Instagram that I don't really like use very much, but I will answer DMs and it's at earth.suit.riot. Those are both great ways to connect with me. Awesome. And any last words for those who are struggling? If anybody is struggling, just hang in there, reach out to people that you trust, shift some things around in your house, (laughs) take a deep breath. Like everything is always changing. That's the thing. We cannot predict the future. So we have to make sure that we're okay in the here and now. And that's all we really have control over. It doesn't serve us to freak out about something that hasn't happened yet. And whatever happened in the past, it already happened. So I guess my, my piece of advice would be like, it it does us really well to try and stay in the moment and do what we can for the moment. Love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Maggie, for having this conversation with me and um, just sharing your journey, sharing your wisdom, sharing everything that you've learned this is, is a big issue. I know a lot of people struggle, you know, with those same kinds of feelings and you being able to use your voice and your past to help others is, is just a huge gift. So thank you for, for sharing that with me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Awakening with Lindley Rose. These conversations are so important. I hope you'll like, subscribe, share, follow, and we'll see you next time.